0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we get to hear from Derry Graham, who is the guitarist and primary songwriter for the excellent Canadian rock band Honeymoon Suite. Now, you may remember Honeymoon Suite burst on the scene in about 1984 with their debut album. It had hits on it like New Girl Now, uh, bigger hits in Canada than ever got down to the States. And we talk about that. Like, why would that be? Why is there a separation between Canadian rock and... And chart success and USA, United States, chart success. I don't get it. Anyway, their second album, The Big Prize, is... Excellent, And it deserves to be up there with albums by Survivor or Foreigner or or Bon Jovi or whatever melodic hard rock band of the 80s you were into. If you don't have the big prize to go with that collection, you're doing it wrong. Hits like What Does It Take and this one right here, Feel It Again, one of the best songs ever. In fact, you know how Spotify is giving you all that information about what your year? I listened to this song more than any other song in 2018. In fact, I listened to more Honeymoon Suite than any other band in 2018. That kind of shocked me. So anyway, the second album, Big Prize, worked on with Bruce Fairbairn and Bob Rock, and unfortunately, those guys were so busy working on Slippery When Wet, they couldn't get them to work on the third album, so they went with Ted Templeman, who had worked with the Doobie Brothers and Van Halen. Great producer in his own right, but it wasn't a great mix, and the album kind of tanked, and they never really recovered from that, unfortunately, even though it's a good album. And they've been, they're still on the on the touring circuit, mostly up in Canada. They don't make it down into the States very often. And again, this just makes no sense to me. They are one of the best unheralded 80s melodic rock bands there are. The, the mixture of Derry's songwriting with lead singer Johnny D's voice is one of the best combinations in rock history let alone of the 80s or any other genre. So, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. We talk about their placement in movies, which you know is a big thing for me. We talk about sort of where they are in their career right now. Luckily, things are pretty good. We had this conversation in September, and since then they went and played 80s in the sand, which we talk about here, which is great news. I would give anything for Honeymoon Suite to get to tour the U.S. more often. I wish it would happen. Anyway. He lives in Illinois, but when we talked, I think he was in Calgary uh, on tour. Well, let me, uh, I can remember, you know, I often start these interviews with um, with a little story about how I became a fan of the person I'm talking to. And with you guys, it was, I'll never forget it, because it was uh, hearing what does it take at the end of one crazy summer <laughs>
1: a feeling from you things ain't right do you need something new knowing how both of
0: Because I recognized that song. I had heard it on the radio a few times, but it was one of those where, you know, you'd hear it, but I I never caught who sang it or what it was even called. I just knew I liked it. You know, it'd be in the middle of like a four-song stretch and you'd never find out. And then I saw One Crazy Summer, uh, which I still love that movie. And honestly, I think that's kind of an odd song to pick to play in that very moment because it's a funny movie with a really funny ending and then they put this kind of monster ballad at the end it doesn't quite work but yet it does work and it worked for me so ever since then it's like i love honeymoon Sweet because of that very moment uh, you know uh, and i was like 13 well, that, or something at the time
2: no that's cool well you know that stuff is completely out of our hands is Back it in i the wonder day, they, yeah no they would just because we were with warner warner brothers in la and screen gems and we had the publishing down there so through that whole organization, we got a few nice uh, placements, mm-hmm. uh, sync things, and movies and TV shows. So they would just call us up and say they're using this song for that, and this, these songs are going to Miami Vice. And I'm like, I'm the writer, so I'm like, okay, yeah, fine with me, great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, those things are, uh, yeah, that's cool. I, yeah,
0: I like that. Okay. Okay. Did you have you even ever seen One Crazy Summer? Are you familiar with the scene I'm even talking about? Do you know it's on there?
2: Yeah, but okay. the, yeah, I know it has to Moore more in it and yeah. you know, I probably it in the, in the 80s and I watched it once and right. and people <laughs> always tell me about it. I no, I haven't seen it in ages.
0: Oh, that's so funny. I have it on DVD. I watch <laughs> it with my kids. I would say listen up really? for this song. Yeah, it's so funny. My regular listeners know I, I have a sort of fixation with 80s movie soundtracks there's plenty to talk about and I was going to get to this later but since it already came up tell us about how you got to uh, do the <laughs> Lethal Weapon theme song
1: when you lose your love and it makes your life
0: That was that, something you were commissioned to write for the movie and record for the movie, correct? Yeah,
2: not exactly though. It's oh. Kind of convoluted. Like in a nutshell, we were getting, we were working on our third album after the big prize. We come off the road and we started writing, and we wanted Bruce Fairburn to do the third record as well. Mm-hmm. But he was tied up with Bon Jovi for the next couple mm-hmm. of years, so unfortunately we couldn't get him. But uh, Ted Templeman was at a- head of A and R at Warner's. In L.A. at that time and he had expressed interest in maybe working with the band and me being you know uh, Van Halen and, and Montrose fan from way mm-hmm. back for me to get the chance to work with Ted was like really cool yeah. so anyways we uh, went down there and started to uh, to work with Ted on, on the record and writing and whatnot and during that process the song came across his desk because the first Lethal Weapon was coming out. The movie was done. The soundtrack was done. Michael came and wrote the song, mm. but they didn't. All they had was a demo, and they needed a band to record it and put it in the movie. They needed the right voice. Mm-hmm. So we were already down there in the studio. Ted brought it in and said, you guys want to cut this for this movie. It's probably going to be big. So we did.
0: Mm. Now I don't remember yeah. ever hearing that song on the radio. I don't. Was it even released as a single, or was it just meant to be played in the in the movie itself?
2: No, it actually was a single in a oh, video was in Canada.
0: Okay, there is actually a video for it um, okay. that we did
2: with movie footage. So yes, it was a single I don't know in the states, but in Canada it was. Okay, and it was so crazy because the, everything, like I said, was done, and they put the song in after the fact. Mm-hmm. So it's so funny. That it's the title track but if you go see the movie you won't even hear it till the very <laughs> last credit you know the credits are rolling up yeah. you know at the very end the janitors are sweeping up the popcorn <laughs> right. um, you would figure they would feature it in the movie but it was so far back at the end it's kind oh, of man. funny where they oh, placed man. it
0: yeah okay I remember that yeah yeah I love those stories and one more I mean uh, since we're on the topic there's one more big movie the Wraith you guys had Those Were the Days on the Wraith soundtrack, which is a long forgotten Charlie Sheen movie. Is there any story to that one? I love that song too, actually.
2: Yeah, not really. Again, Warner Brothers Mm -hmm. kind of just came through with that. It was a song that our keyboard player Ray wrote called Those Were the Days. Yeah. And it was just a demo, actually. It's one of the songs we demoed for the third album or something, or the second album, that didn't make it on the record. Okay. And somehow it got sent over and they thought it was right for the movie, so we Mm recut it and then it went
0: in the movie. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like you're you don't have like a lot of emotional attachment to these things. They just sort of you do it at where they go and what what their lives are like, you're it's kind of out of your hands, it sounds like.
2: It it is out of my hands, but I'm very attached to anything, you know, if I've I've co written it or mm-hmm. if it's the band's music. I'm totally excited inside yeah. about it. I, I love that stuff, you know, the TVs yeah. and commercials and it's just
0: Yeah, I think it's great. Okay. Well, let me ask you, you know, I was going to mention that you being kind of the primary songwriter in the band, how did that, how does someone become that, how does someone get that job? You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm guessing at first the band comes together and everyone has their own opinions and what they like and what they think is good. And somewhere along the way, someone has to kind of rise up as being the one with maybe the most songwriting talent. And then everyone else has to sort of like get used to that, you know, and maybe some egos are involved. I don't know. What, ha- how, did that happen for you? No,
2: well, that's just the way it works. You can't have five songwriters in a band. And if you look at most bands, there's usually two key guys. And it's usually the singer and the guitar player yeah. that kind of work together. There's the voice and then there's the guy who writes the songs and sometimes they work together. So it's natural progression that when I met Johnny and I auditioned and got in in the band, that I had always been writing songs and, and when I first joined honeymoon suite, we're a six night a week cover band, mm. and we just went on the road because we were starving. We had to eat, and we started to sneak in uh, original songs because when I met John, I knew that finally it found a singer, which is the hardest thing. Yeah. I needed that lead singer because you can't you've got to have that or you're not going to make it. Yeah. So. I knew we had some magic there and I had some songs and we started sneaking them into our, our set and mm-hmm. people liked them and things just started snowballing from there. So we, you know, long story short, we got our record deal and everything else. It's like, okay, Derry, where's the songs? Yeah. Fortunately, I had a bunch in my back pocket for the first album and yeah. we ended up getting like four or five singles off of it. We just got really lucky. And I had the songs at the time and I would bring them in, pretty much finished show them to the band everybody's just happy because we had songs to play there's no egos there it's like mm-hmm. things were happening I was writing the songs Johnny was singing and it's like it's a, it's a team and everybody's you know was yeah. down with it it worked
0: good okay I didn't know if if that you know if that if it takes growing pains maybe to get to that end result eventually or if people are I'm, I've never been in a band or if it's like no Gary's our guy that's we ride you know he writes the songs and we perform them and that's the way we like it sounds like there wasn't a lot of Whoa. drama attached to that no but not everybody's a writer like the
2: other guys yeah. were just they, they were players good players and we were a band but they weren't the songwriters yeah. and they just accepted that and they they were happy that i had these these songs that worked and i could bring them in and everything everything worked a lot of bands are like that you can't have like i said can't have five guys writing songs mm-hmm. everybody wanting a piece of it because admit that never works
0: yeah yeah you know I gotta say I feel like you and Johnny are one of the most unsung duos in rock especially modern rock I mean there are few collaborations to me where someone's voice and interpretation of someone's great songwriting come mesh together so perfectly and beautifully as the two of you and you mentioned a second ago as having like how difficult it is to find that that lead singer. You nailed it. I mean, you couldn't have asked for more. The two of you guys. Have were you have you ever been in a situation? I don't know if it was prior to Honeymoon Suite or whatever. What what makes you think that? Explain that comment about how it's always fi- hard to find a lead singer. Do you when you hear a song, when you write a song and you hear it in your head, are you imagining someone else or someone singing it? And then it's difficult to find that someone. What's the obstacle?
2: I don't know, man. It mm-hmm. just got real lucky. Johnny and I kind of came from the same area, and just by chance, Weedie, we got in the same room at the same time, mm-hmm. and he'd already started the band. I I, I don't know. <clears throat> I'd been in other bands. i have done my own band. I sing, too, but I'm not a lead mm-hmm. singer. <clears throat> I'd been in a band with a girl, and I'd been in a new wave band with other singers. They were okay, but it wasn't the sound of the 80s you know yeah, yeah. the stuff that i was writing and it just when i had new girl now which i'd wrote several years before so i good. met johnny played him the demo and so let's put that one in the show and then as soon as he started singing it it's like shit that yeah. sounds really good yeah sound it's like suit your voice so the light bulb went off Yeah, you know, and we just went from there
0: good uh i always find transitions in people's careers really interesting and you guys having been you know like everyone else a struggling band at some point no band just comes out of the womb fully you know formed they got to earn their bona fides. What is that like when you start hearing new girl now on the radio and it becomes a thing and, and you're starting to, it's becoming a, a mild hit in the States and you're probably going on tour and getting signed. How is that? How does your life change? Were you flipping burgers before that? And you got to go, you know, quit the job and be, become a rock star full time. How did your life change? You know,
2: I actually did work at a burger joint once when I was a kid. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, um, I've done
2: lots of jobs, but at the time that, that we Honeymoon Suite was starting out, Johnny and I were just full on, full time, starving musicians playing in a cover band in Toronto mm. and going up in Northern Ontario and playing old hotels just to make, you know, 200 bucks a week so we mm-hmm. could eat. And once I'd met Johnny, I knew things I knew we could do something. Really? So we were bent on getting a record deal and demoing. So we'd come home on the weekends and demo our songs. We had a vision. We worked mm-hmm. for it. You mm-hmm. have to have a plan. And we did. And we sent out demos. And it's a long story, but we got our deal. And that's the story.
0: Just, okay. Just you know, persistence. Um, just like so any other hard, band. It's hard, like I said. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but there's a lot of bands out there. But oh, no kidding. Singers, but... <clears> yeah you got to get that you're not going to get signed well it's all changed now but back then there's so many bands but there's always something wrong with every one of them you know Mm -hmm. maybe the Mm -hmm. voice wasn't there or the songs weren't there that's Mm -hmm. what the labels are looking for fortunately we had the sound and johnny has a great voice on the radio and record companies basically they're companies they're businesses they're looking to make money Mm -hmm. so they could hear dollars you know, dollars and cents in Johnny's voice. They knew it would work on the radio and the songs were there.
0: Yeah.
2: So everything was just clicking. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I understood that and it did work.
0: Good, good. Do you feel like uh, Honeymoon Suite became all that you deserved and should have become? Because in some ways, <laughs> I feel like there's some uh, there's some missed potential there, you know? Big prize comes out and it sounds so good and it sounds like the best of what is happening in rock at that time, you know And there's great tracks on there feel it again and everything and there you're getting traction But was it what you thought was it enough? You know what I mean? Is there a sense of like we made it or is it like why can't we why can't we get over this hump? I know we were on that
2: uh, upward trajectory for sure Big prize is a fantastic album. It is. The third one didn't come up to snuff, unfortunately, for a lot of reasons. You know, maybe the songs weren't there, the production wasn't there. I wish that Bruce Fairburn had produced the record. Mm-hmm. Nothing against Ted. He did a great job, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's just not there. We did our best. There's some good songs on it, but it didn't it wasn't the breakthrough album. So no. I wish we were at a at a far different place than we are. Yeah. But you know, over 30 years now um, together, I can't believe we're still out here touring and doing some good numbers. And I can't complain. I'm not going to be bitter. Yeah. Um, I'm happy. I'm full time mm-hmm. making making a living. And yeah, I wish that we were we had gotten farther. But man, we got a lot farther than other bands. So you have to. You know, I appreciate what we have. Yeah. What we had.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I feel that way too. I just think I think you guys were special. And um, I mean, I'm so grateful that you still have a career and that everything is still going well and you can tour and everything like that. But it feels like there was another notch of success that was should have been yours. Is it is it something about there's a story about uh, did Johnny break his leg or get hit by a car or something like that. And that that was one of the things that was kind of slowing down the third album racing after midnight.
2: Yeah, it happened um, near the end of it. He went to pick up his girlfriend at LAX, and uh, some lady hit him when he was crossing the street. Um, We'd done most of the tracks. It certainly um, put a damper on things, but most of the record was done at that point. He had to go back to Toronto and get some surgery and stuff, fly back to LA, and then he finished his vocals on crutches Mm. out in the studio. So it kind of yeah it's it's not a good thing. I don't think it affected the the album cuz like I said it was mostly done, mm-hmm. but it was just something that you don't want to happen. Fortunately, he's okay now.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And we we press on, you know, we okay. we press on.
0: Okay. Yeah, tell me about the experience of working with Ted. He um, you know, he's one of he's legendary. And one thing I think yeah. is kind of interesting is that he had worked with the Bullet Boys. I had Mark Torian on here from the Bullet Boys a while back. And um, even though he didn't come right out and say this, my feeling is that the Bullet Boys albums are meant to sound like Van Halen's Little Brothers albums. You know what I mean? They're so close in style and everything. But I don't get that sense from you. So what? what's you know. the magic of Ted Templeman? And what was he... Even though you know, Racing After Midnight's a good album. It's probably not the album that it sh- that should have come out at that point, right after Big Br- Prize. But it is good. What's the magic of Ted Templeman? How how was that, you know, dynamic with you guys?
2: Well, Ted is just a uh, feel guy. Mm. He's he's a little eccentric, a little aloof. Mm. Um, mm. He's he's a character for sure. I mean, when you look what he's what he's done in his life, yeah. uh, you know, mm. the records. So he would be a little frustrating at times. Not really clear about what he wanted. And he wasn't there sometimes when I wanted him to be, because he was over at Warner brothers being an A and R guy. Mm. So for me, it was a lot of, I loved working with him, um, the guitar stuff and that he's a song guy mm. and he mm-hmm. would go by instinct in that. And sometimes we didn't always agree, but, uh, I could see what made those early records of his great, the way he worked with people. Yeah. He was just different. Okay. Different than, say, Bruce Fairburn. Different
0: approach. And so, what's the magic then of Bruce Fairburn? I mean, both legends and both put out so much good music. <laughs> it sounds like that was a better partnership for you guys. Why?
2: Yeah, because Bruce understood, <clears throat> I think Bruce being a Canadian, he understood our band better. He did the early Loverboy stuff. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. we were kind of in that genre. And of course, um, you know, what he did with Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. uh, that was his genre. But Bruce, again, he was a song guy, and he's done this with every band he's worked with Aerosmith, Bon Jovi. He won't take the project into the studio unless the songs are there first. Right. And as a producer, that's to me—that's the number one rule. He would come in, and listen to stuff, and say, "You got two or three good ones here, but you need to spend some more time woodshedding because there's no point in spending all this money unless you've got the songs."
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: that's the difference with him. And it showed.
0: Okay. Do you feel like one is better suited to uh, make the most of your songs? Do you feel like Bruce has a better feel for how to make a honeymoon sweet song its very best than maybe? And I don't mean that as a knock against Ted, but just a feel for you.
2: Yeah. Listen to the the big prize. I mean, don't forget that at that time... Bob Rock was the engineer mm. on that record. Oh, before he became a super producer. Yeah. So what a team that was, and Bob's a guitar player. So I had a lot of fun with him because he had all his his gear at the studio, and it was just a good situation. And mm-hmm. I think Bruce, like, I wish that he had done the third record, mm-hmm. but he couldn't because he was tied up for two years with Bon Jovi doing yeah. Slippery. Yeah. And that was unfortunate and we couldn't wait around another year or two to get back in the studio. So that was what happened there. Who knows? It's like, it's like, what if, but you can't think of it that way. Right. It's just, that's the way things worked out. Unfortunately, he's gone now, which is really sad, but
0: yeah. Yeah. Is it true? Michael McDonald is, uh, did he work with you on long way back? such an odd pairing and if he and i have to assume that's a ted templeman connection because why else yeah uh, i love you both but that's just a weird how did that all happen
2: yeah well that's again ted knows everybody and has worked yeah. with everybody and we were halfway through the record we had that one that song there i could not finish it hmm. i just couldn't finish it i couldn't get the right lyric and ted knew i was frustrated and he goes well let me call Mike's, Michael's a great writer. Would you be okay if I called him, sent the song over to him? And I, of course I said, you know, I do not know who Michael McDonald is. So he, he sent the demo over to him. And Michael came in the next day, Hmm. walked in the studio with the lyric and sang it to us in the control room. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was surreal. So we cut Johnny, cut the vocal and then I'm out on the floor. Standing beside Michael McDonald in the studio doing the background vocals. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Stuff that's that's LA. Great. That is Um, so fun. Oh man. Mm -hmm. Okay, then I got to ask you about another odd sort of odd pairing. How did you get Ian Anderson to come on all along? You knew.
2: first american tour we did like when the first album came out and new girl now hit mtv and all that we got signed to warner's in the states so all of a sudden we could tour america and the first tour we got was opening for jethro Tull.
0: oh really 19 what <laughs> in
2: 1983 84 they did their a tour through america and don't ask me why but they put us on as the opening huh. act the that's odd right. combination but we didn't care
1: yeah. we
2: were just kids yeah. out of Ontario all of a sudden we are on a tour bus going through America playing arenas every night and opening for Just for 12, who I grew up listening to yeah. so yeah. that's the connection there we, we were on the road with them for about two or a couple of months then we were we recorded the big prize took it over to England to mix it and we had all along you knew but something was missing mm. and somebody suggested shit you know Ian Anderson could play flute on this. You know, one thing led to another. Why don't we call him? Because we were mixing in England, and Uh he lived not far from the studio we were at. He came over one day with his flute, just drove up, (laughs) went in the studio. And our producer, uh, Bruce, had to fly back to Canada. He couldn't stay for that. Uh So I ended up producing that session. There's another story for Oh, so here's oh. me in the control room with the engineer and Ian Anderson's out on the floor with his flute <laughs> and it's like, go. So he cuts one track. It's fantastic. He says, you see one I said, okay. So he cut like two tracks and they were both fantastic. He says, how's that? And I said, sounds good to me, but he was so quick and uh, so friendly. Wow. And that's my story there. And that's oh my how that oh my
0: happened. That is great. Yeah. That is great. I, I'm a big Jethro Tull fan too. And him especially. Um, you talk about, you talk about, you know, touring with them and playing in arenas and stuff like that. Do you remember what the first thing you did to celebrate your new success was? Did you buy a new car or did you take your family out to a big meal? What did you do? What was the first thing? I probably bought a guitar or something. Did you really? Like Mm -hmm. gear? More gear? Um,
2: well, our thing was New Girl Now got sent into a radio station in uh, Toronto. They had this homegrown contest we had a demo of new girl now and it got sent in before we got our deal and it won that contest and got on the radio. So we won a bunch of gear and stuff from the local music store. And I, I went down and got a Les Paul and I oh, felt wow. like a millionaire, you know? know, it's like, I'll take that one. Cause <laughs> he, that was one thing. And I don't know. I mean, when the deal came and I started making some money, the first thing I got is my own apartment,
1: uh-huh.
2: you know, I did have to live with five other guys.
1: Yeah. yeah. So,
2: and and I probably bought I probably bought some guitars
0: and, you know, just stuff. Okay. You know? Okay. Now, uh, conversely, was there a time when kind of the, you know, success started to run out? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel really, it's weird to me because I don't think of Canada as being that far away or like such a different market. And yet it is for, it is musically. I've had um, members of the band Toronto on here. And I love that band and but yet they don't they can't get arrested down here, but they tour much like you guys throughout Canada all the time just seems odd that it can't trickle down. But during like the 90s and those kind of periods when maybe the 80s hard rock was going out of style, did you ever have to do anything else Were they lean times for you?
2: oh man there were um well first the toronto we just played with them a few weeks ago i know all those oh people. good i love and them our bass player gary lalon was actually yep. the bass first base the bass player in toronto back yep. in the day before honeymoon Sweet. anyways mm-hmm. i think a lot of 80s bands can say when the 90s came along it killed mm-hmm. it killed hair metal and everything else um it was it was so over for the band's Once Nirvana hit and all that Seattle stuff. It was very tough. And Johnny and I always stayed together. We actually had other guys in the band. We never actually stopped playing, but there were some lean years where we'd only do a couple of shows Mm. and we'd all just do other things uh, musically, Mm. just trying to trying to get through. Yeah,
1: Yeah.
2: this is a hard business, man. It goes up and down. Fortunately, being a songwriter, I was still benefiting from from royalties and things mm-hmm. like that, so I kind of somehow made it through. Okay. But the, I think you talked to a lot of bands in the '90s. It just yeah. killed it. It did. Um, just the cycle of the business, man. But yeah. we persevered through.
0: Yeah. Speaking of the '90s, um, how do you feel about your Lemon Tongue album? I know that was 2001, but it sounds like '90s rock.
1: Walk like it matters in my kingdom of wisdom.
0: feel about
2: that yeah Yeah. um it's not it's not our best album yeah but it was an album nonetheless and as a band i just want to it was the record we made at that time was a low budget record Mm -hmm. and again it was influenced by the sound of the 90s it was me trying to sound grungy or different Trying, trying to go with the times when you have to realize i realize now that we Johnny and I have this sound the band has a sound mm-hmm. it's melodic rock and we're going to I write for that there's a honeymoon sweet sound you can't bury from that it's our brand yeah. and we're back to that now so it's just yeah. it you know what it's a it's a snapshot in time that mm-hmm. record came out it is what it is
0: yeah and okay
2: we move on it's yeah. part of the catalog
0: I was curious that that album's always kind of been a little frustrating for me because it it sort of shaves off the parts that make Honeymoon Suite special to me. It sounds like a 90s rock band album, and that's not what mm-hmm. was special about you, you know, to me. And so that that sounds like an album. I mean, I love your songwriting, and I love you too, and I'm rooting for you, but it, that sounds like an album that almost could have been made by any 90s band at the time. You know what I mean? I know. And um, I know. Well, so I've, I've always wondered. That's just where we were at that time, and that's the record that we put out. Yeah. Having said that, all hands, which you guys put out last year, is a total return to form. If you ask me,
2: it is oh, you wonderful. Mean hands up.
0: Or oh, I'm sorry. Yes, hands up. <laughs> yes, hands up. Form. Oh, I love
2: on. that album. Thank you. Um, yes, it's back to the, the, the melody, the rock, yes. and it's more involved. Johnny's much more involved in the writing process, and our friend Sean Kelly um, is in there co-writing a lot of the songs. And it's more back on the track that we should be on.
0: Yeah. What was the? Now you guys went through well, like thank a you. pledge music. Process for all that, right? How did that go? I've heard of other bands doing that. I'm, I'm always wondering if that's a successful way to go. If you like it, if there's problems. Yeah. No, no? it's a totally legit uh, company. Okay. If you go on their site, you wouldn't believe who's doing
2: records on there. Like, yeah, some very you know major artists are are using going through Pledge Music because this business has changed so much. Yeah. There's you can't sell CDs anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of bands don't have these record deals. Is saying screw it just eliminate the middleman and make the record directly with your fans. Cause mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's all you got. Right. And it's basically the fans funding the record and they love to do it. And it was very successful for us. And it was a great experience.
0: Yeah. Good. It sounds so good. And when I listen to that, it, it reminds me that everything kind of comes full circle and you, I mean, I'm sure you, you know, you're reaping the benefits of this, you know, the nineties, sort of make bands like you guys feel or seem obsolete. But then eventually those people who grew up on you become, they get over the need to be cool or trendy or whatever it is. And they just want what they want and what they like. And you guys now being back into like full swing sort of get to benefit from that, I would think. Right. Yeah. Well, now that the nineties
2: is over. Thank (laughs) God. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't like that era. Yeah. Um, Too much dark, depressing music. Great. Thank God that's over and it's turned around in the last 10, 15 years. Now it's, you know what? People want it. It's like why they listened to it in the first place in the eighties, because it's fun. It's melodic. It makes you feel good. Bon Jovi and Night Ranger and all these bands. It's, it's fun. And that's where our music was. And now I think people are back to that. One of the biggest tours going out right now is Journey and, and Def mm-hmm, Leppard. Mm-hmm. You know, these, are, these bands are older than us. Yeah, Journey is. And they're out there, REO Speedwagon, all these yeah. bands. It's it's back and doing business. So why not? Yeah, I think people want to. It's the it's the power of your catalog of, of good songs, yeah. and you're making. You know, you got your older fans, but you got a lot of young fans too, just
0: getting into this music and they mm-hmm. love it. They do. Um, so I'm curious about touring. I mean, I, it sounds like you guys are pretty consistently able to tour throughout Canada. Is there ever talks about you know being the opening act for, why can't it be, you know, Honeymoon Suite, Def Leppard and Journey? Because uh, I know like bands like Tesla get attached to these kind of things. Is it an America versus Canada thing? It's
2: tough um, for us because we toured the States so much in the eighties and early nineties, but we have we haven't been there in a long time. And yeah. I think it's a matter of profile. I think, like you said earlier, a lot of people have heard New Girl now and what does it take, but they don't know that it's Honeymoon Sweet that, yeah. that did it. Mm-hmm. So I'm const- constantly trying to get more shows in the States because I live in the States and I want to tour down there, but it takes the right package for us to come down. Like if it was like a Honeymoon Suite, Lover Boy Night Ranger kind exactly. of thing, that would be great. But it's... Us wanting to do it and saying it is not going to make it happen. Mm. It's there's promoters and managers involved and agencies that have to actually make that happen. So we're working on it. Okay, we're doing. You know, we do the monsters of rock cruises and we do some things in the states that are pretty cool. But we'll see. Yeah, see, we're. I I think it just takes that right tour.
0: Hopefully. Didn't you, did you guys do, was it 80s in the sand or something like that in the last year or so? Did I see that?
2: That, that's coming up in November.
0: Is it? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, uh, I would give anything to see you guys. I, I, I'm going to have to make a (laughs) pilgrimage back up to Canada. (laughs) Maybe I should get, call my old girlfriend who, you know, I don't think she lives up there anymore. But anyway, I got to get up there and see you in Toronto on the same bill. That would be like a dream, you know? Anyway. Um, Where do you live in the States?
2: I live in uh, central Illinois. Oh, you do?
0: Interesting. I do.
2: I'm a couple hours uh, south of Chicago. I've been there about 15 years.
0: What made you choose that of all places?
2: My wife is an American, Mm. and we've been together since the 80s Mm. um, a long time. We lived in Toronto for a long time. Mm. Um, she lived up there with me. We got married and had our kids. And then we moved back to where she's from in Illinois about 15 years ago, because I wanted to get out of Toronto mm-hmm. and I wanted to live in a smaller place to raise my kids. Yeah. So that's where we are at the moment. Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. counting the days where I, till I can move again, I want to get down to Nashville
0: Do ya. or LA,
2: mm-hmm. but I'm, in the States and you know, I'm got my, my, my green card. And, um, I like living in the U S Yeah. so I get the best of both
0: worlds. I come up to Canada a lot. And, Good. Yeah. Okay. How many dates a year do you guys play at this point? The summers
2: around 40 to oh. 50 shows, Okay. That's which isn't bad. a ton, but we're doing what all the other bands do. It's the fairs and festivals. Yeah. It's casinos, a lot of the that kind of stuff. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, starts in the spring and goes right through. Here we are in September. We've got a full month now, and then and then it kind of uh, falls off in mm-hmm. October, and we don't do so much. Okay. In casinos and stuff. Yeah. So it's been really good. It's it's getting busier every year.
0: Good. Man, you guys deserve it. I'm really glad to hear that. I uh, I hope it continues. I want to know, I have a couple questions that I ask a lot of people because I, I find these really interesting. I want to know if there is a moment. Now, I, I know that people don't like to get asked like what their favorite song is necessarily, but I'm curious if there is a moment that you are particularly proud of, like whether it was a lick or a lyric or a Something, you know, something where it's like I was I was stumped and then it hit me out of the blue and I got this thing and I nailed it. Anything. Is there a particular song of yours that you just think, there's a moment in this song that means so much to me?
2: I could say that about a lot of the songs. Really? Um, well, songs are funny. Being the writer, I wrote a lot of them on the road and I associate the city that I was in. Mm. When I listened to a certain song, I can remember clear as day where I was when I, when I wrote that lyric because it was emotional. For example, on the first album, there's a song way at the end called Face to Face.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a hole in the overcast The sun spikes through i
2: I just broken up. This girl had just dumped me and I was in pretty low, low spirits. And I wrote that song and there's a lyric, there's a part of the song where, you know, the clouds are there and the, the uh, oh yeah, the, the lyric is there's a hole in the overcast and the sun spikes through. Mm. And I love that lyric because I remember I'm looking at the sky and that's, I saw that and I wrote really? it down and it's perfect for the song. Nice. So, you know, I think that's kind of what you're asking. Right? Yeah, it is. That's um, exactly little, it. Little lyrical moments. Yeah. And then um, New Girl Now. I wrote that yeah. in college in the kitchen of the house I was living in. And I just wrote, I got a new girl now. And once I'd said that, the
0: rest of the song kind of wrote itself. That's amazing. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, I want to know if you have any regrets. I want to know if when you look back if there was a decision that you made somewhere along the way that caused things to just go in a different direction that if do you have any regrets like that?
2: Well, I think every musician can say that. Sure. Regrets. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of things that I I would have done differently but I can't you can't dwell on it mm-hmm. i i mentioned earlier about bruce fairburn mm-hmm. i wish we had held out mm-hmm. and waited for him to do that third record Really? because him and i got along great and it was all about the songs to me as it was to him but it wasn't meant to be and the label was pressuring us to get back mm-hmm. in the studio so we moved ahead yeah. for better or for worse yeah. um that that kind of thing and i remember The other thing is our keyboard player, Ray Colburn, um, who was a really key part of the sound Mm -hmm. of the first and the second album. Ray's a fantastic keyboard player. Um, And he was a big part of the sound against my guitar playing and Mm -hmm. Johnny's voice. Mm -hmm. Ray decided to leave the band after the big prize. And that, I think, really hurt us. It mm-hmm. hurt the sound, mm-hmm. but he there was no stopping him. And if I could go back there, I'd hold him up against the wall and say, what the hell are you thinking? Because it was his, you know, he was in a good situation where he was. He shouldn't have left, and we yeah. shouldn't, let him but I'm not going to dwell on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, it happens in every band and yeah. we move on. So I wish he hadn't, because he was um, a good player, but in his head, he wasn't there. and. I don't want somebody in the band that's not that doesn't want to be there.
0: Yeah. Was uh, I was going to ask you about that too. He's coming in and out. Is he currently in the band or is he not? Cause he's come in and out over the years. Hasn't he? Yeah. He has. He came back okay. for a, an album or two
2: or some tours and that was great. But Ray is somebody who just, he's concerned. He wants, you know, he's looking for his, he's got his own interests at
1: heart He okay. okay. just wants
2: to do his, his own thing four better okay. fours so yeah. he yeah. currently i think he's playing with uh, roger Hodgson now oh really huh from super tramp yeah, yeah that's he got that's lesser so you know that is probably a great gig for him and uh good yeah, okay. good for him
0: yeah okay good i wondered where he went what he was doing um what about stories can you I mean, you had you know you've been at this for thirty five years or whatever. You've probably met some heroes. You've probably seen some things that normal people will never see. Tell us some fun stories. There's a, there's a lot of stories, but um, <laughs> for the coolest
2: thing for me about finding some success in the business is. M- you know, the cliché meeting your heroes or working with your heroes, yeah. people that you came up with and you played their songs and cover bands. And then a couple of years later, you're hanging out with them backstage or working with them. That's a thrill to me to, um, you know, be hanging out with Neil Sean because mm-hmm. we opened for Journey mm-hmm. or to meet Eddie Van Halen or... To meet Billy Idol when you know, just stuff like Mm. that. Here's these people, we used to play their songs and now they hang out and they're they're really nice people. Wow. Stuff, you know, stuff like that is I get it I get a kick out of it because at the end of the day I'm I'm a fan.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, I wondered about that. I'm sure you've seen so much. Um by the way, one thing I meant to ask you about. Were you there's this very obscure band that had a couple of hits that I loved back in the day, Frozen Ghost. Didn't you have something to do with Frozen Ghost?
2: Yeah, they, they were on our label, same label in Canada, and they, um, they were our opening act on one of our tours across the country. And they had, I played, I came in on their second album, they asked me to come in and play on it, and do, so I think I played on three or four songs, like I guessed it. They were nice enough to, to ask me to, to be a guest on their on their record. Lanny, who was the brains behind that, he's gone on to be like this great producer guy. Oh, really? We're still really good friends. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And Arnold's done a lot of lot of stuff, so good for him.
0: Good, very good. Well, look, uh, Derry. And do you go by Derry or Dermot? Well, both. My stage name is Derry
2: Gray, and but a lot of the guys just call me Dermot. I know it's confusing. <laughs> I get called all kinds of things, but.
0: Well, I want to refer minute, to you it. the way that you want to be referred to. So I just, Can uh, I just I call see me Gary.
2: That's okay. fine. Okay, good. doesn't matter t- to
0: me. Good. Uh, well, Derry, uh, it means a lot to me that you talk to me. I think you guys are great. Um, totally unsung. I would encourage anyone who doesn't know or doesn't have them to go check out the whole Honeymoon Suite catalog. There's gold on every album. And I'm really, really glad that you've got some measure of success today that allows you to continue to do what you do best, and um, mm. bring a lot of happiness because you deserve it so much. And so I'm really glad. Well, thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're lucky. Things are are. are- good up here in Canada we just got to get down south of the border sure do. a little more but we'll see how that goes yeah. um I should mention there's new music in the works
0: really so yes
2: keep, yeah stay tuned there's two songs I'm just uh, mixing now gonna shop them a bit and uh nice. ready to do uh, another album this one is heavy heavier but so melodic and it's so honeymoon sweet
0: oh that's just what you're good at is this going to be do you Mm -hmm. think another pledge music situation or are you kind of looking for a label
2: um we're gonna we're gonna look for i think a a label first the pledge thing is great but it's a very hands-on there's a lot it's a lot of work because working with the fans you have to update and uh you really have to um spend a lot of time i bet um, keeping the fans abreast and fulfilling and everything else Yeah. right now. I just want to concentrate on music.
0: Cool. Yeah. Makes sense. Oh, that's exciting. Well, good. I can't wait to hear it when it comes out. Thank you so much for talking with me. Derry means a lot. You're the best. There you have it. Derry Grayan. I don't know what kind of petition we need to start or sign to get these guys more attention in the States, but let's do it people. These guys deserve it. How unsung and unheralded are they? Every song is so good. That album that came out last year, Hands Up, equally as good as their best stuff. Now I want to close it out with another song off the big prize because if I haven't sold you on the reason why you need to own that album by now, I don't know what's going to do it. But hopefully it's this song. It's called Bad Attitude. So good. Such a great album. Please pick it up. Now, next week is Christmas. And, uh, you know, Tuesday, that's a Tuesday, so we're gonna put out a new episode. And um, I tried to get something that was sort of Christmas-centric or Christmas-adjacent, didn't quite work out. So instead, we're gonna hear from a member of a great, one of the great 70s British one-hit wonder bands, okay? Uh, Hopefully we don't uh, intrude on your Christmas celebrations too much. If you subscribe, which I hope you do, it'll be there when you're ready to listen. Uh, you know the deal by now. You can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send us a message on there. Uh, I have mentioned before that um, on Facebook that I'm trying to get a sense of what everybody's favorite episodes are of this year so that when Yan and I do our year in review, we can say what kind of the audience vote was. In order to do that, you have to go on the website, thehustle.podbean.com, or you can go on iTunes or whatever, and just get a sense of everything that came out this year, and let us know what your favorites are. If you can't pick, give us maybe a top three, top five, top ten, whatever, but rank them so that we know. And then we will read whatever the number one episode of the year was, while Yan and I are counting down our own top of the year. And, obviously, a special thanks to Jan the Man Makiewicz, my right-hand man, for putting everything together. All right, thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. We will talk to you later.